Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 46 of Ancient Ways for Modern Days. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew, and today with me is Mike, absent from last week, but now he's back again this week. So, Mike, thank you for taking the sweet, sweet time to come and meet with me and, and podcast. <laughs> it's good to be back, man. Yeah, it's good to see you. Man, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, I had a week off and just to... Uh, just to goof around and, and, and take care of other things and I got to come back and hang out with you for a little bit. How are you doing? You know, I think I'm doing really good. I'm just uh, enjoying the Christmas season, I'm doing a lot of work right now. Yeah. You know, between some of our Advent videos, you were over at our house last night filming. Yes. And um, kind of prepping for 2021 and what we're going to preach for next year, working through getting ready for Christmas Eve services. We've got those three services coming up really quickly. And so there's just a lot of kind of balls in the air that we're juggling right now. You know, I uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but I was looking over the preaching calendar and I got a little excited because I, I didn't tell you this, but over over my vacation, I actually took an Adobe Illustrator class because I wanted to help make some other sermon graphics just to kind of help Jackson out with some other things too in a different okay. style mm-hmm. and stuff. So uh, we, we'll, we'll have to talk later, but I'm, oh I'm excited for that. You got some ideas, huh? So yeah, I, I do. So... Yeah. So, but yeah, man, it's good to see you, man. We, I, last night I was over. We were doing your, uh, well, our our Advent videos and stuff. Man, your your kids are hilarious, man. I uh, I I love watching them just interact, and then also like realize there's a camera on, and then there's their personality just gets sucked out of the room. <laughs> and then I try to capture a, a couple of like candid things by leaving the camera on. Yeah, but uh, it's it's funny watching them like, oh no, there's a camera. But I really think. That their future is going to be in front of the camera a lot. I just the way our world is right now, yeah. we we film and do so much stuff nowadays. Well, you're on camera whether you realize it or not, almost all the time, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, just everyone's always got a phone ready to film, and that's just kind of the world we live in. Is you just kind of got to be where you're. You're always being filmed. I mean, yeah, maybe yeah, even more than we realize. Maybe the man's filming right now. That's you know? true. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So well, that's yeah. cool. That is funny. Like uh, Jay's just so loose and so funny, and then the camera's <laughs> on. It's like. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jaden. <laughs> it was so funny watching him like come in and be like, hey, I'm wearing a blazer and just kind of riffing on that for a while. And then the moment he realized like there was a camera and it's on, he was just like, hello, I'm Jaden Free. Like it was just so, so straight laced. So I was like, hey, man, it's cool. Just it's relax. hard though because you, you reminded me of when I got here at Valley. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't used to having the camera in my face. And, and you know, it, it's hard, man. It is. It's hard getting used to that. And my kids, they're, uh, they're troopers. They were willing to do that, they were eager to do that, but it, doesn't mean it's easy. It is. There's a learning curve. I remember my first, like, when I started doing that. And, I, and like I said, like I do. I remember when you started. It's There's that nerve-wracking feeling. And you and I have talked about this. Talking to an audience, so much different than talking to a camera. Mm-hmm. I like to feed off the energy of people. And, it, and that, that allows, allows me to know if people are tracking with me or not. But if it's a camera, it's, it just feels like a stab in the dark all the time. Yeah. So... I think that's why I enjoy podcasting because it just feels like you and I are just hanging out yeah. and talking. So uh, that's good. Hey, we also had a, uh, a Christmas party yesterday. We had a staff Christmas party. Yeah, that was that was fun. We I think I want to shout out to that barbecue place. What was that place called again? I think it was Papa D's. Papa or D's. Baby D's or something. Something D's. Yeah, down in it was it Kalama or Woodland. 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 Okay, yeah. that was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, we did that in a little gift exchange and uh, ended up with toilet paper, which is the, the, the classic gift for 2020 this year. That was a gift I brought. It was, yeah. Toilet paper and some poopery. Yeah. And I think I ended up trading that uh, for the gift I brought because I know uh, Jeff wanted He's like, I really want this. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Oh, you traded him? He traded me. So he gave me the Wizard of Oz puzzle. Which, which is what you brought. Which is what I had 
bought. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I like puzzles and I, I know, I think my mom will enjoy that. So okay. I was going to give that to her as well. Well, hopefully so. she doesn't listen to this before Christmas. She doesn't listen to podcasts. Okay. My mom listening to podcasts. That would, that would be the day. I ended up with, uh, with what my wife brought. Yes. <laughs> which, which my daughter is very thrilled about because it was the operation game, but yeah. it was the, uh, with Grogu. Yeah. Which apparently is the name of Baby Yoda. It's the name of Baby Yoda. I, I have yet to watch uh, this season, but I guess I will now. This is completely off topic, but I saw that Disney had their shareholders meeting two weeks ago and announced so many new shows for Disney+. Plus. When I'm a Marvel guy, yeah. so I am so excited for that. So I'm, I'm about to re-up my, my Disney Plus thing and right. catch up on Mandalorian and in wait in anticipation for uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier yep. and all the other Marvel things. I heard about some of that. Oh, yeah. There's some more Star Wars things coming out too, right? Yeah, that's, that's going to be cool. I, what, what else is coming out for Star Wars? I know there's like, uh, there's an Ahsoka Tano. Okay, that makes sense because she's part of the yeah. Mandalorian right now. And Rosario Dawson, as, as, as her, I think is a good choice. There's an Obi-Wan Kenobi thing, but that's been in the works for a while. There's also a... Kind of like a uh, a, a squad based show. I, I, I think it's gonna be a crime drama, but with like people f- who are ex soldiers from the uh, the Empire and things. I hmm. I I that a, makes sense based on the last episode I just saw for Mandalorian. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I like I, I got to catch up. I like the Mandalorian. I like that it's like a space western, and I like that it's a smaller story. Uh, I think I'm kind of Star Wars out. Really? Ultimately, yeah. My kids love it, dude. Yeah, it makes sense. They, we, we've they been would, enjoying yeah. it every Friday and uh, taking it in. We we gather around, we watch it, and and uh, I think we've watched season one like three times. That's awesome. Because they just they want to rewatch it, and, and it's pretty fun. And I saw I saw this morning that uh, the Mandalorian's blaster they're coming out with a Nerf authenticated like oh, uh, really? version of it, like 150 bucks or something. That's right. So your son uh, plays uh, Fortnite, right? Yeah, he does. does. Does he know there's a big Mandalorian thing going on? He's got it. Fortnite. He's got okay. the, It's called the skin, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's I, got that. He's got some emotes or emojis or what? It, yeah, emotes. And Master Chief. Emotes. That's, that's a whole other pop culture thing, but uh, this is yeah. not where we're supposed to be going. Today, we're but, we're not, know. but we're going down that road. <laughs> so, at so, Valley, we got some cool things happening, though. We do. We have. I, I think. I think we should start with our probably my favorite announcement. If you want to talk about some staffing. Oh yeah, yeah. This, this is this. I have been looking forward to this for a long yeah, time. Yeah. So this podcast comes out on Monday, which means the uh, the Sunday yesterday, which is two days from now, yeah, the but, day yeah. before this was released. Yeah, um, we're going to be announcing that we've actually uh, offered a position to a, a new associate pastor, and this has kind of been in the works. We approved the budget in October it, it, for this, yes. and you look like you were going to add something. I was going to say, in addition to the current associate pastor, I know I only say that. I was just thinking about my mom. Yeah. Because when you announced that we were getting another associate pastor, she called me like, what's going on? Where, where are you going? And I'm like, oh. Hey, out with the old and with the new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is another and additional uh, staff yeah. pastor, which is going to be a great fit. And so um, you want to you say the name? Yeah, his name. The name that should not be named? Voldemort. Oh, boy. So, so no. Uh, it is Stephen Klukas. That's right. Man, we are getting staffed up with a lot of Stevens around here. So we got Stephen Hall as a possible elder because yep. we're, we're going through the... He's uh, been nominated and he'll yep. be affirmed a month from last weekend. Yeah, barring any crazy information that someone just shows up and is like, hey, man, yeah. this guy. But I'm excited for him. He's yep. a solid dude. And then now Stephen Klukas, who if you have been watching online, I think he's, he typically is the one who leads our worship most of the time. He's the... Uh, 
skinnier bearded fellow. He already oversees our worship ministry. Yes. And he doesn't always lead worship, but he oversees Mm -hmm. the other worship leaders and kind of helps um, kind of create support and provides just, you know, whatever they need to make sure that they can do their role well. For the last two years, I think he's operated as our worship director. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that was a volunteer position. Yeah. And he has been faithful. And he, he has been doing youth ministry now since basically the... The, the pandemic started, mm-hmm. uh, man, he is a great asset. He is a good personal friend. Like there's a lot of history between Steve and myself and Valley. And I am, uh, I am excited. I am excited to see him just be on board. Yeah. That's really, it is exciting. You know, he's a guy that young guy, young family loves the Lord, loves the church, loves the word of God. He is very teachable. He's very eager. And, yes. uh, and he's been putting in the time. I mean, he's been putting in lots of hours for a long time at Valley between youth ministry and worship ministry. And and so um, elders feel really strongly this is the Lord's doing. And we, we've been blessed this last year. We, we feel like we have the, the margin financially to do it. And so we're going to move forward with it. And I think it's going to have, I mean, <laughs> you and I were talking earlier today. It's just really going to help with a lot of what we do at Valley. And It, it really will. Um, I think there's, or there's always so much work between just you and I and... Uh, to just to maintain, right? I think everybody understands like the whirlwind of life is just maintaining things and trying to build something is hard and it'll be great to have a, a third person with us full, full time, you know, and, and moving forward. I think it's going to be awesome. I mean, you're a hard worker. I'm a oh, hard thanks. worker. And, um, and I think Steven's a hard worker and it, you and I do a lot already. Mm-hmm. And a lot of ministry happens at, that you and I lead mm-hmm. and we're doing a, I think we're doing a better job of handing ministry off and training people more and more. But to add that kind of third leg of the stool is going to really allow us to just, I think, multiply and expand the ministry we do. 100%. And um, it, it's going to be good things for Valley. So yeah. I'm encouraged. Well, good. Um, part of that is uh, Stephen's help and plan this Christmas Eve. Yes. Yeah. We've got some Christmas Eve services coming up. We're going to be doing the, the story of Christmas as the Advent candles, which we've talked about recently, um, as they, they tell the story. And uh, we're going to have some awesome carols, some great Christmas worship songs, and, uh, and candlelight. Um, two of those services are going to be in person, in and person, one yep. is going to be online. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting year this year, because we, with COVID and everything that's happening, I love the fact that we have the ability to see the 5 and the 11 p.m., and, and for all of us to come together. But for those who aren't able to, we're going to offer that 7 o'clock. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've been watching, but I put it on our website and fa- our Facebook where you can watch that show or that, that live stream at, at 7 p.m. Christmas Eve. That's going to be awesome. You know, I got one more thing I want to mention. We didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I just want to shout out to Valley. This week we're finalizing our Angel Tree gift collections. Yes. We've uh, ended up helping out, I think, 11 different families, 27 different kids, and uh, we've been helping with some some uh, gifts, some clothing, some food, even some some uh, just kind of some bills and things like that. And so, man, what an awesome church! That that's on top of the, you know, we we had I think about sixty Operation Christmas Child boxes that we sent out, and then there was yes. one person at Valley that sent out three hundred. Wow! And so I'm I'm just looking at this church and looking at the way people want to give and people want to be generous and people want to serve. For not, not just to feel good, but for the sake of the gospel, for right. the, the sake of glorifying Jesus and having people know that Jesus loves them. I just, I'm so encouraged. I'm so excited. I'm so, you know, I think in a good way, I'm, I'm so thankful and proud of, of this church. So it's a pretty cool season, man. That's good. You know, I, I, I keep hearing all the time that this year specifically, the need, the need is greater and the resources are fewer. 
And so for us to be able to, as a church, to to see that how God has blessed us and to keep moving forward and to keep blessing others and know that God's going to take care of us or to see that we have been blessed and keep pressing that forward to bless others in the name of the gospel, I think that is a beautiful thing. And it's so, it's awesome to be a part of a church that just continues to want to change the world for Christ. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. It's encouraging. So um, I think... I think now it's probably a good time to kind of pivot into our topic today. Um, I, I'm I'm very excited about our topic, but I think I want to. Well, let me just say it. We're, today we're talking about the apocrypha. Mm-hmm. We had a listener uh, ask a while back about what is the apocrypha. Should it be something that we study from? Is it something like why is it that other churches uh, lean into it to kind of talk about it, use it, and all these things? Why is it that some Christians uh, feel like this is such an important document? And so today, um, I think we're going to kind of walk through through that. And I I, I want to be careful how I, I, I say this, but I, I think it's important for us to really understand the Bible and these other extra biblical other extra writings because we live in the day of information. This is true of almost every every, every discipline out there. Is that because we have the internet and all these things like that? It's really easy for people to just suddenly find information and feel like, oh, they have, here's some hidden information that no one else is talking about, and this must be hidden from us for a reason, and then they start to make up this big narrative behind it and push it forward and be like, I have the, this, this esoteric knowledge that everyone else needs to know because I'm like this special person, and, this, and, and it, there, there's a reason, for, for, at least for the Apocrypha, there's a reason why it is what it is and why um, we as, as Bible-believing Christians don't really hold it up at the same way as we hold uh, Scripture. Yeah. So. I mean, that's, that, that leans into what's called Gnosticism, right? Which yeah. is this idea of secret knowledge. Mm-hmm. And man, there, there's something alluring about, oh, I have found, I found the secret. I found this thing that very few people know about. And, and um, yet, yet what we find isn't God's word. Right. And so it might be secret, but it doesn't mean it's true. Right. It might be secret, but it doesn't mean it's an authority about spiritual things. And so we just got to be careful. And so today we're, we're answering the question, you know, what is the deal with the Apocrypha? Why, why is it, you know, what is it? Is it important? Is it something we should know about? And so I'll just start with, uh, I'm going to jump in and I think yeah. maybe we should even preface it. This might be a little bit more technical. It is. Um, of a conversation. And so if people listen and they're like, you lost me, I, I, here's my encouragement to you from the outset. Like, stay with us. Follow along the best you can. If you have questions, you know you know how to get a hold of us. We'd love to circle back to this, but uh, we're going to try to make it just really accessible. And so we'll start with the Apocrypha. What is it? Well, yeah. the, the word Apocrypha, literally, it means hidden writings. And what it is, is it, it's a, a word that describes about 20 ancient writings that were mostly written in Greek. Um, some were written in Hebrew, but during the, the intertestamental period. And so this is a time period... Uh, between the close of the Old Testament canon and and then Jesus's time, followed by the, the New Testament scripture. Right. And so what you're saying is, in our Bible, in the time frame of it, when when the Old Testament comes to a close, there's a time period before the New Testament starts. It doesn't it doesn't just pick right up with the New Testament right, right. afterwards. Yeah. Yep. And and so um, the, these are often um, contained in what's called the the Septuagint. Which is the Jewish, or which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and also they're contained in, in the Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of both the Old and New Testament. Um, and these are accepted; Th- these are books that are accepted as canon or as standard or as scripture 
in the Roman Catholic churches, in some Eastern Orthodox churches, but they're rejected by Judaism. And so these, these scriptures are not part of the Jewish tradition of what is actually canon. And they're rejected by evangelicals and, and Protestants. They were rejected by us, right? Yeah. And so this is, I guess that's the overview. Sometimes this is called the deuterocanonical writings. And so that that word, it's a big word, and I stumble over it almost every time I say yeah. it. I did okay that time. Yeah, I thought you did um, well. But it basically means second canon. And so you think about it. We have the, the Old Testament, the first canon, the 39 books of the Old Testament scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are called the, the proto-canon or proto-canonical. And then the second canon are these these writings that come from the the intertestamental period after the the first canon is, is closed, right? So you think Deuteronomy, second giving of the law, Deuter two, Deuteronomy mm-hmm. uh, or Namos law, second giving of the law. That's that's kind of what the these what the the apocrypha is. Okay. Now, there's a story behind it, and it's yeah. a really good story. And basically, the story picks up after the Jewish canon. This proto-canon or the proto-canonical writings. So that's Genesis through Malachi, those those 39 books. Um, that was basically fixed in the Jewish tradition and the Jewish understanding of what canon is around 200 years before Jesus Christ. Okay. And so this was considered the Jewish canon. And it, again, the word canon, it means read or really it refers to a measurement or a standard. And so these are the standard books that are recognized, not determined, but recognized as God's authoritative word. Okay, so one way to kind of, one way I like to talk about canon, this is different because it's not necessarily a standard, but like the uh, the measure of things is like today in pop culture, we have a lot of uh, canons in stories. Oh, that's right? right, yeah, yeah. So um, for, for Star Wars, uh, right now, right now we say episodes one through nine are canon. And I know... Again, this is the nerd in me, but like episode eight and nine, the last two are very divisive. Some people don't like the Ryan Johnson one, and so what they want is a rewriting of these stories. They want they there's a there's been a petition to to say this is no longer canon, as in this isn't part of the Star Wars story anymore. We want to rewrite it and add something else. Well, the people who own the property say no, this is canon. So any of these other fan made stories, and that's what it is, fan made stories, they don't fit in to the Star Wars lore. So that's kind of is that is, that's kind of the yeah. one way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm smiling because you, uh, I have a story I was going to tell you and I forgot to tell you. Okay. And it has to do with Star Wars and Ryan Johnson. Okay. I, I got an email from someone who was stalking me on Facebook. They, they actually run a Christian ministry and whatnot, and they're actually end of the year like, hey, we're looking for people to support us and sponsor us. We have this this giving goal to meet. And his email said, hey, I looked you up on Facebook, and you look a lot like Ryan Johnson, but I'm pretty sure you didn't ruin Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, so like I, I had never seen a picture of Ryan Johnson before in my okay. life. That's not how I live, you know. So I had to look him up. I was like, okay, whatever, I guess. But it, I knew you would like that story. It was it was kind of funny. That's funny. I, uh, that's good. <clears throat> I didn't give him any money. I <laughs> do you look like Ryan Johnson? I'd have to look at. Like, I, I know who he is, and I know what he looks like. But I feel, huh? I don't know. Hair, hair color, okay. Hair length, vaguely the same. A little bit of facial hair on that dude. Okay. And I, I mean, I was like. Uh, okay, what? Well, yeah. yeah, okay, but yeah, okay. It, it was, I don't know, it was kind of creepy yeah. being Facebook stalked, but <laughs> but a- a- anyway, that's uh, so there's, there's there's a canon like that. There's also a canon in like uh, Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien's, he created this universe, and there's there's a canon series of stories, and then there are fan made stories, other stories mm-hmm. outside of that people want to contribute to this, but they're like, no, 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 
these, this is the story. This is the official story. That's right. And that's what we're saying when it comes to, to the, the idea of canon for scripture, even for the Jewish uh, canon. Like, these are the official, these are recognized. They're, they're not, I think the word you use, like they're not, um, they, were, they weren't created, they're recognized mm-hmm. as, as the standard. That's right. Yeah. And that's a great illustration because at the same time that these, this canon existed, well, theological writing continued. Mm-hmm. So Jewish theologians continue to write about theology, right? Just like today, we have the, the New Testament canon, but guess what? We still have theological writings happening. And so um, these theological writings were still happening, but they were not considered authoritative. Mm-hmm. And so that's where these, these 20-something books in the Apocrypha, they come into play. These writings, they were considered useful. They yes. were considered helpful. They were considered insightful. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes they would be packaged in a writing along with the Old Testament scriptures but in a local synagogue, a Jewish rabbi would be able to make it really clear to those who would come that the, the canon did not include these additional writings. Okay. So it's like if you open up your study Bible. You open up a study Bible, there's study Bible notes in it. Well, those study Bible notes, they're helpful. Mm-hmm. They may even be true. Yeah. But those words are not authoritative. That's right. Actually, that's a good illustration. I On my shelf over there. I have a C.S. Lewis study Bible. And so there's the actual, there's scripture, the canonized scripture in it. And then there are helpful, helpful study notes in it that are written by C.S. Lewis. But the person reading this, like it, there's, there are notes saying like C.S. Lewis is not an inspired author, though he has much to contribute. And it's helpful to see how he explains things. Mm-hmm. This should not be held at the same light as scripture itself, but it's included in that study Bible. Yep. So, yeah. And so at this time, we have a lot of Jewish people that um, they're speaking more and more Greek. At this time period, right, the intertestamental period, especially around the birth of Jesus, this is when um, the, the Greek language is becoming the predominant language in the world. And so you have these people who have the Jewish faith, but they are not able to easily access the, the Jewish scripture. And so they're saying, hey, we want a translation. We want the Jewish scriptures translated from Hebrew into Greek. And so this is a work that was undertaken, and this is what we call the Septuagint. Yeah, and we mentioned this earlier. This mm-hmm. is the origin of the Septuagint, Yeah, the so, Greek Bible. Yeah, the, yeah. the Greek translation of the yeah. Old Testament. This is Septuagint, right? And so along with the Septuagint translating the Old Testament scripture, well, guess what was translated sometimes as well? These helpful study notes. These helpful study notes, yeah. the, the, the Apocrypha. Now, again, valuable. Some of it is historical. Some of it is insightful, but it... It's not to be mis- it's not to be mistakenly equated at the same level as authoritative. These are not the word of God, even though they were translated along with it. And so again, just like many rabbis were able to distinguish in their local congregations, this is not authoritative, it's helpful. Well, most theologians of the early church, they attempted to maintain this distinction. And so you think about early church, you think Jesus has come, he's lived the perfect life, he's died the sacrificial, substitutionary, vicarious death for us, he's been buried, resurrected, he, he appeared, he ascended, and now the church is birthed, and the church is expanding, and the church, as it's expanding, many of the leaders, they're maintaining, like, these Old Testament scriptures are helpful, they're with the word of God, and the apocrypha alongside of it is oftentimes found in the Septuagint scriptures that they would be using. Yeah. And so th- this goes on for centuries. Mm-hmm. And in that, the next kind of big turn we have is in the fourth century with a guy named Jerome. Mm-hmm. And Jerome, he, kind of the same way that the Septuagint is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, well, by the fourth century, the predominant language is no longer Greek. It's actually Latin. And so Jerome, he translates the Old Testament 
and he's at least credited with um, the, the Gospels, but, but all of the New Testament is also translated into Latin. Well, guess what's translated alongside with it? The apocryphal the books. Apocrypha, yep. the, these books that are, again, they, they're considered helpful, um, but they're, they're not considered to be the authority. In fact, in Jerome's translation, he indicates, he makes notations about the apocrypha that it is not to be considered the word of God. It is not to be considered authoritative. But what happens is from one translation, yeah, the translation, well, one copy is made, then another copy is made. And sometimes, you know, as these copies are made, people don't want to include these notes. Yeah. And so they, 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 somewhere along the line, drones notation about the apocryphal books not being part of the actual canon, they're removed. And so if people are holding this, and let's say it's the only, you know, Vulgate that they have their hands on, mm -hmm. and there's no notation that says these are additional books, but these are not scripture. Well, what are they going to think? They're going to think it's part of scripture. They're going to think it's part of scripture. Yeah. So this tradition kind of grows, and so something that was helpful grows into something that's kind of like considered and thought of in, in the incorrect light. And so this is, again, you, you have a couple more centuries go by, and this is kind of how people are interacting with, with the scripture. They're mm -hmm. considering the apocryphal books as part of it, not because there has ever been this, this moment where it's been uh, determined, especially by the, the, the Jewish pre-Christian believers in, the, 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 in, in Yahweh, right? Mm -hmm. There was never that moment. That's why the Jewish, Jewish church doesn't hold these to be canonical. Right. Or I shouldn't say Jewish church, Jewish synagogue, Jewish right. religion. Um, well, fast forward now to the 6th century. And this is when a big thing happens. This is the, the Reformation. And so the Reformation begins with Martin Luther. And he goes and, and he's reading the scripture and he's realizing that some of the teachings of the church do not match with what the scripture teaches. And he wants to, he wants to challenge the Catholic leadership, the Roman Catholic church. He doesn't want to burn it down. He, he doesn't want to dismantle everything. Right. He's just saying, we need to fix some of this because we're not actually being faithful to the scripture. And right. so in, what, 1517, he nails the 95 Theses to the, the door of the church in Dort, I think. And, and he begins this, this kind of like raising his hand to argue. Well, what happens is his argument gets shut down. He's branded a heretic. He's, mm -hmm. he's you know, he's considered to be everything that's wrong by, by the, the Roman Catholic Church. But he doesn't relent. Well, as this is happening, there's this kind of awakening saying, well, it's not the church's, you know, um, proclamations that are authoritative. It's the word of God. Right. And so, you know what these reformers start doing? They start going back to the original languages. And so instead of using the Latin Vulgate, which includes the Apocrypha, yeah, they say, we want this. We want to, we want to look at the Hebrew. So they want to look at the Hebrew and they want to look at the Greek. And so they go back to these Hebrew original documents and mm -hmm. guess what is missing? The Apocrypha is missing because they weren't canon. Exactly. Right. And so now no longer are these uh, reformers, I mean, they're thinking, okay, this, this is not part of God's authoritative word. And so they, they start to no longer use it. Well, the Catholic Church is at war with the reformers. Like, mm -hmm. literally, they're, they're killing them. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're martyring them, right? And so the, the Catholic Church has the Council of Trent. And part of, I think, in this opposition to Martin Luther and the reformers, part of what's happening is these reformers, they want to get the word of God into the average ordinary John, right? And so Luther's in, in Germany, you know. Yeah want to get into the hand of Johan. Johan, yeah. right? They, they want they it's want a German joke. They want everyone to be able to read it. Well, the Catholic Church loses some power in that. Right. Because now longer they're no longer the only source that people can go to for the word of God. And so in that Council of Trent, the Catholic Church 
they declare the Latin Vulgate is the official Bible, mm-hmm. the official Bible, and and basically it delegitimizes any other translation, mm-hmm. and it it codifies the Vulgate, it codifies the Apocrypha, and so this is how all this tradition kind of builds and builds and builds. And some of these historical moments, you know, they, they have consequences as things happen, and mm-hmm. and sooner or later, well, now we have the this this schism in the church where the catholic church is now separate from the the reformed church or the protestant church which now grows into the modern day evangelical church mm-hmm. and in this schism there's this realization that well we actually have different authorities mm-hmm. in the catholic church to this day they maintain the apocrypha as part of their their canon and mm-hmm. we we just see that that that's actually not part of our canon right so that's that's kind of the story um, so let me, let me let me make sure I'm tracking along <coughs> with you. So we have the uh, we have the the Jewish canon, the uh, we'll see the protocanical books is what was what we said, and th- even then the 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 Jewish faith at that time totally recognized that the apocrypha was not part of their canon, but they saw it as helpful, much in the same way that we we see as study Bible notes or other like notes written by um, authors who are biblical authors. You're like, man, this is like a lot of things that John MacArthur writes, John Piper, all these things, these are like, oh, these are really helpful, but they're not scripture, right? They're helpful, but they're not scripture. So that's what we have here. But then eventually uh, with the form of the Greek Septuagint, we, we see that included in the notes, but it's noted that it's not scripture, but they're helpful notes. Then later we see that that was yeah yeah and then we have uh, the Vulgate shows up as we translate now to Latin because that's that becomes the predominant language, and through that after centuries um, the the note that says that this is not scripture that incidentally gets left behind and so people start to think oh this is scripture. Well, in the midst of all this, at some point in time we have the Reformation that starts and as we go back to the original languages we rediscover that oh wow these are not. These are not Bingo. scripture, but because there is a schism between the Catholics and the Protestants, the Catholics kind of doubled down on the on the uh, uh, no, uh, sorry, the Vulgate, and say this is the official Bible in the Apocrypha, yeah, in the Apocrypha. Thus, then making it officially like this is part of the Bible. Whereas uh, what, what what eventually became evangelicals, the, the Protestants who became evangelicals were saying, no, this isn't scripture. These are helpful, but these are not. This is not the Word of God. And now we have a confused country in yeah. 2020 it's yeah. like it's like i mean it, it's not this simple but it's like when those base motives start to to bubble up in kids right and so if your mm-hmm. kids are fighting and uh you know they're having a, a big disagreement and you're handing out popsicles and and one kid says well i want cherry and the other kids are like well if you want cherry i don't want cherry right right that's kind of what it feels like right mm-hmm. like the the catholic church is saying well if, if you don't believe in this well we're gonna hold on to it right and right i i i'm it's way more complicated. It's way more dynamic than that. But the right. big picture, this, it kind uh, of feels by. that way, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's that's the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the next question, I, I guess the next... Um, I, next it, logical question would be like, should we should we read it? Should we yeah. should we take from it? Or what should, should... Should it be included or should it not be included? Because we, we want to be people of truth. Yeah. So is this truth that we should be partaking of? Yeah. And so we don't. We don't include it. We exclude it. And um, for... for uh, a bunch of reasons, and I think for the time we have here, we'll, we'll walk through some of those reasons and just kind of see where it goes. I think I think maybe we should note now that we're going to talk about why it shouldn't be uh, included. But you you prepared a document that says has some reasons as to why it could be included, but you've walked through some of the rebuttals. So if that's something that people want to hear, 
maybe they can, uh, if they let us know, we, we can go through that yeah. another time. So, yeah. Um, when, when we talk about why we exclude it, well, first of all, uh, we want the scripture to inform us in this. And so the New Testament scripture is a marvelous, marvelous thing. And as you read the New Testament scripture over and over again, uh, Jesus says things like this. Paul says things like this. They say things like, it is written. Mm-hmm. Or if you, you've heard that it was written. And in all of those times, you know what they're referring to is the Old Testament scripture. Yep. Well, he, here's the first reason why we don't include it. The New Testament, it never quotes from the apocryphal writings. It never quotes for, from them as scripture. Mm-hmm. It never says, you have heard it written, and then it quotes one of these books. Yeah. And so there's, just from the outset, there, there is a, a lack of, of biblical confirmation of the New Testament writers that the, the, the apocryphal books uh, amount to anything authoritative. Now, in my mind, that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like if if God wanted to affirm that these are authoritative, he could have supernaturally, just like he did with all of Scripture, lead one of the New Testament writers to write down, it is written, and then he could have quoted any of these books right. multiple that, times. That goes into uh, the test of canonicity for the New Testament. There are times when people have like, well, why is the New Testament canon? And there are many times where uh, different authors and things are quoted, and that, that authority of that quote gives precedence for this is authoritative. And we see that, that that does not happen for the books of the Apocrypha. Yep. Now, the second reason is um, the Jewish people of, of Palestine, th- those who lived in Israel, they never accepted the deuterocanonical books, right? Their, their canon never included it. They, they were seen as helpful. They were seen as useful. But never once were, were they actually used in any way that showed any kind of authority or acceptance placed upon them. Um, which kind of gives you some insight, right? Yeah. Um, even some of their, their heavy hitter writers, right? Josephus, he talks about how they were never included, that they shouldn't be included. Uh, Philo never uh, included them. Um, Philo was a uh, first century writer, and he never included these. And so you have these, these key uh, Jewish historians and thinkers who never referenced this or included them at all as, as canon. And so... I, we're kind of building this case, right? So New Testament writers never included them. The uh, the Palestinian Jews of the first century, they never saw these as canonical at all. And these books were written for them and by them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, they were read by them, they're useful, but they, they were not seen as, as part of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing is there, there's actually, if, if you dig into the theology, it actually, these books have theology and even historical facts. First of all, his theology that does not match with the New Testament the scripture, yeah. right? Um, there's there's strange theology in them, as well as there's some historical inaccuracies. And so, actually, I, I include some of these, um, these texts that I just want to uh, walk through a little bit, mm-hmm. that it doesn't take a, a Bible scholar to realize these don't match up with the rest of scripture, right? So the first is that they, they lean toward a workspace salvation, the book of Tobit, twelve uh, nine, it actually says talking about alms giving, right? When you when you give uh, financially, it says for alms giving saves from death and purges away every sin. Those who give alms will enjoy full life, but those who commit sin and do wrong are their own worst enemies. So that's the idea of you can essentially buy your way into heaven. Yeah, yeah. So you've done a bunch of sin and you you 
earn enough money that you give it to good causes, you give it to the church, and you give it to you know godly things, mm-hmm. and and you can be saved through your alms giving. And that that is definitely a works based, yeah, uh, thing. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's right. Yeah. It's it's directly con- contrast, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says it is by grace you were saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's no one's work, so that no one can boast. Right. right. The alms giver, if they give enough, they can say. <laughs> Look at how good I did. Right. Look at look at what I've done. Like yep. that is that is direct contradiction to all of the New Testament scripture, right? Um, it also has some weird teachings about like that, that really kind of lean into cruelty and even like um, misogynistic ideas. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, so you have uh, Sirach twenty two three. It says it says it is a disgrace to be the father of an undisciplined son. Now I'd say amen, right? You, you should discipline. You like you, this is the, the Bible aligns with that teaching, but then it continues. It says, "And the birth of a daughter is a loss." As in, it's a bad thing to have a daughter. Yeah, it is. It is shameful. Yeah, exactly. And this is this goes against the scripture, yeah. like plainly, right? I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis and the and Adam and Eve, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So God makes Adam and Eve to perfectly complement each other. That's right. Right, uh, and this is a completion. Right, the image of God is seen in man and woman fully. There is not an inferiority in woman compared to man. They they are both equal before God. Right, um, dignity, worth, respect, all of that, and yet this teaching plainly, clearly. And egregiously goes against that, right? It says, "Oh, you had a daughter." Instead of congratulations, oh, sucks to be you. Like that's yeah. that's terrible, right? Um, it continues, uh, chapter forty-two of the same book, verse fourteen. It says, "Better is the wickedness of a man than a woman who does good. Jeez. It is the woman Jeez. who brings shame and disgrace." <laughs> okay. I mean, it's the same deal, right? Yeah. I mean, this is just, uh, this is outright wrong. This is clearly uh, not just wrong from an emotional perspective. Like, uh, we have an emotional perspective. That's wrong. Well, right. guess what? We can go to any secular person in our world and, and say this. And they'd be like, that's wrong, right? They right. have this gut reaction. Mm-hmm. But but more importantly, our gut reaction is not truth. Mm-hmm. Truth is the word of God. And the word of God does not teach that. Right. Right? Um, they also teach about purgatory. Uh, there's a long passage um about uh, prayers for those who were killed in battle. Um, let me see if I can just read the very end of it. Um, it's talking, uh, at the very end of it, it talks about um, in praying for the dead. It says, therefore he made atonement for the dead so that they might be delivered from their sin, right? And this is just basically saying, hey, you can save someone by praying for them after they've passed away. Well, again, that, this is not, the kind of teaching that you find in scripture and the word of God at all. Right. Um, scripture talks about for man is to live once, die, and then stand before God in judgment, right? Like it's between you and God. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess what? I, I can't pray for my kid to, to be saved. Um, I can't pray for my great ancestors to be saved after they've passed. It's right. just not what the scripture teaches. It's done. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you actually, you, we, we look through these things and you can kind of clearly see some Catholic teachings. Mm-hmm. That come from this. Yep, yeah. that's right. Um, and it, it's interesting also that the apocrypha itself it attests to that when there when these apocryphal books were written that there is no prophetic voice in the land. 
right? And so a prophetic voice is the God speaking through his prophets or his apostles, right? Mm-hmm. And so in 1 Maccabees 9, 27, it's talking about this. It says, thus there was a great distress in Israel, such that had not been since the time that the prophets ceased to be a, appear among them. Right, and so what this is recognizes that the time of the prophets has actually ceased. Mm-hmm. The time of God speaking through His people, um, it actually had come to an end. And so this is that that tension that we have here. Says, okay, these books actually even like these writers, they're actually declaring that God's not speaking um, authoritatively through them. Right, that that time is no longer in place. And so these are, I mean. There's there are books and volumes written on this, but these, as we begin, just kind of with a cursory look, these are the reasons, right? The New Testament reasons make it really clear, uh, as they they don't quote these books at all, and so that gives us a lot to think about. Just saying, okay, if the New Testament doesn't quote it, no, and the New Testament quotes a lot of other scripture, well, we should really be doubtful that right. this is the, the word of God. The Palestinian Jews of the first century and and before that, they never included it. Um, and then the teaching along with the, the heretical teaching along with, um, what am I saying here? Along with, uh, what the Apocrypha says about itself. These just four simple reasons to yeah. give us a lot of kind of consideration to say these likely are not the word of God. So, so we've ran through where the Apocrypha came from and why there are some faiths and some thoughts that, that think that this is part of scripture, but we kind of explained why, why it's not because it's. It just it just wasn't, and then actually yeah. And then we ran through some reasons as to why they shouldn't be considered as scripture. And so I, I think about our, our listeners now, like what should they do with this information? Because I think for a lot of people, they're running into people who either number one want to not obey the Bible, right? They were like, well, parts of the Bible are taken out, and they, they will point to like the, the apocrypha. I mean, like, see, that was taken out, so it's a man made document, so we don't need to listen to the Bible because it's all man made. Or, or the other extreme is, um, man, here's someone who has found this hidden thing that no one wants to talk about anymore, and there's some hidden meanings and things like this. Like, what, what, should, what should a disciple of Christ, like how should a disciple of Christ kind of handle, I guess, these camps, I guess? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'd say, first of all, I, I'd say first application is personal. Mm-hmm. So personally, I, I think this gives us actually reason to run to the Word of God more and more. Right, because because we've got a, a a world around us that has all these strange ideas, and that you, you talked about, you know, they want to kind of like uh, condone their sin. Yeah, and so we've got to make sure we're just in the word. We're striving to believe the word. We're striving to obey the word. That, that's just the personal level, right? Mm-hmm. If this is all just an academic, you know, exercise so that you can get a zinger on someone, you, you're, you're totally no. missing the point, yeah. right? But I actually think that our discussion today gives us greater confidence in the Word of God. Yeah. If someone comes to me and they say, you know what, I don't believe the Word of God because, well, what about the Apocrypha? I actually say, well, let's, let's slow down. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the history. Let's, let's, let's think about this story. And let's actually realize that God in His kindness has been correcting the church over the centuries. Mm-hmm. You think about the Reformation. That, that was a correction. Yeah. That was a correction that brings us back to center when we had gotten off track. And, and that correction, what does it do? It actually it aims us at the Word of God more and more. Mm-hmm. It actually gives us more confidence in the Word of God. And so if someone was to say, you know, all, the, all these other works that were taken away and things like that, they make me think that the Bible is a man-made um, book. Well, I'll say, well, actually, the opposite is true. 
the, the, the corrections made actually reveal the standard is legitimate. Yeah. It's not just, it's not happenstance. Mm-hmm. It's legitimate. And it's actually, God is, he is affirming. He is showing, not, he's not telling people to determine, but he is affirming what he has given as his word. Amen. Now, that's the first thing I'd say to those who are using it as an excuse not to believe. To those mm-hmm. who are looking for secret knowledge. Right. You know, that, that's almost a harder situation. Because this is someone who maybe um, they, they want what's right, mm-hmm. um, but they want to look past what's obvious. Right. And, and sometimes, it, it, you know, I'd be praying for that person. I, I'd maybe have them listen to this podcast. Um, and and I, I guess my, my final thought for that person is, is to maybe just sit down and say, well, let's, let's read through the New Testament together. Mm-hmm. Because the New Testament over and over again, it corrects some of these these desires for secret teaching as you read the plain word of God, especially yep. in the new Testament, I think people will find their heart will be satisfied. Their heart will be full of hope and peace because God's word actually does that. And I think in time it will maybe meet the needs that they're looking for. And some of those strange, um, as you put it, esoteric or, or maybe Gnostic teachings yeah. that are out there. Yeah. I, I, and I agree with that. I, I think it comes to a heart level and you talked about praying for them. And I, I think you really should because this this is anecdotal, but I, you and I have been in ministry for a long time, and I bet you have seen people who who see like well even even Timothy right says like that the the office of an overseer is a noble task it's something to be desired and I think some people see that kind of stuff and instead of like going through I, I guess the established channels of the scripture says like this is how you recognize if someone is going to be called into this they just know like I want to be valued this way I want to see this so I'm gonna I'm gonna find my niche. And just like say that I'm this kind of a person and trying to build my own audience. And that's sinful. And I, I, I can see why someone would want that. But it creates confusion in the body as well. And so I, I, I would pray. And I do pray. I pray for people that like God would just grab a hold of their hearts, give them repentant hearts. And uh, that God would move. Because yeah. it's not about building your own kingdom. It's about building the kingdom of God. Not only is it sinful, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Be- because in my mind, that person, they're finding their self-worth and how other people see them yeah. instead of being a child of God. Man, what a, what a burden to wear. What, what, what a weight to carry. And, and I think I've been there. You've probably been there at oh, times, yeah. right? Like, like, I'm so wrapped up with what people think about me that I'm, I'm worried and I'm anxious and all that. And, and somewhere along the line, I, I think as we, we grow in God and his kindness, his spirit works on us and it gets to the spot where, and this isn't like in a story, it's over, but, but really your foundation becomes, uh, I have a heavenly father mm-hmm. who loves me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to die for me. He was buried and raised from the dead so that I can be forgiven and be redeemed. And the spirit of God loves me so much that he dwells in me right now. And I'm never alone because he's with me. That's the root of my identity. And so as a pastor, as an elder myself, like I love being a pastor and I love being an elder, but, but that's not who I am. Right. The core of who I am is, is I am, I'm a child of God and that's so freeing. Um, and it gives me a lot of confidence in ministry Yeah. because if I'm a child of God and you know, if I'm stumbling toward him, not, not perfectly, but if I'm stumbling toward him, having a humble, repentant heart toward him and ministry doesn't work out the way I think it should, he's still faithful and, 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 yes. and, and he's still going to, he's still going to work through me however he sees fit. Yeah. Right. So there you go. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you for putting this together. I, I hope and I pray that it's uh, useful for our, our listeners. It, it is a, 
strange world out there because we, we do. We live in the information age, and it's easy for people just to grab any information and just start running with it. Um, would you like to close us in prayer? Let's do it. Father, we, we thank you that we are your children. Through your son Jesus and his death and resurrection, you have adopted us. You have made us new. Lord, you have given us the mind of Christ. And I pray we would use that mind to think um, correctly about your word, about what your word is and what, about what your word is not. Lord, I thank you for this, uh, this rich story that we've got to look at today. And I know the, the history is kind of heavy at times. And I know we covered some centuries in, in just a few moments. But, but I thank you that the big story is obvious, that you are protecting your word. You are sustaining your people through your word. And you are using your word and your spirit to keep us from error and to grow us in holiness. And so, Father, I pray that that would be, that would be our takeaway, that we would want to grow in, in truth We'd want to grow in grace. And as we do that, you would use us to make an impact in the lives around us. We pray all this so thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.